Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Today is Monday, February 24, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Senator Bernie Sanders takes the lead after winning the Nevada caucus, but can he continue the momentum in South Carolina? 
Tom Steyer is back on the presidential debate stage tomorrow in Charleston, South Carolina. We'll be there as well. Now, there are a number of other elections we should be watching. We'll introduce you to the black candidate running for Congress in Indiana. Also today in Los Angeles, Kobe Bryant's memorial service took place. A packed arena at the Staples Center. We'll, sh we'll show you some of that. And also, Vanessa Bryant, his widow, has filed a wrongful death suit against the helicopter company and the family of the, of the helicopter pilot, of course, who was leading the helicopter when Kobe Bryant was killed. Also, two major losses in our community. Retired NASA engineer Katherine Johnson of Hidden Figures fame died this weekend, as well as restaurant owner, model, as well as, well as uh, of course, uh, an amazing uh, entrepreneur, B. Smith. And I'll show you the interview I did with her and her husband as they talked about her Alzheimer's battle. Folks, it is time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Today in L.A., a public memorial service was held for Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, nearly one month after the helicopter crash that took their lives along with seven others. A number of NBA stars, folks from Hollywood, also colleagues and loved ones, paid tribute to Kobe Bryant in uh, an amazing, amazing memorial service. any of us could have imagined this. Everywhere you go, you see his face, his number. Gigi's face, Gigi's number. Everywhere, at every intersection. There are hundreds of murals painted by artists who were inspired not because he's a basketball player, but because Kobe was an artist too. And not just in LA, uh, across the country, in Kobe's hometown, 
Philadelphia, in Italy, in India, the Philippines, China, New York, Phoenix, Boston, for God's sake. <laughs> in places where he would be booed on the court, Kobe is missed. She was thoughtful like him. They were so easy to love. Everyone naturally gravitated towards them. They were funny, happy, silly, and they loved life. They were so full of joy and adventure. God knew they couldn't be on this earth without each other. He had to bring them home to heaven together. Babe, you take care of our Gigi. And I got Nani, Bibi, and Coco. We're still the best team. We love and miss you, Boo Boo and Gigi. May you both rest in peace and have fun in heaven until we meet again one day. We love you both and miss you forever and always. Mommy. What Kobe Bryant was to me was the inspiration that someone truly cared about the way I either I played the game or the way that he wanted to play the game. He wanted to be the best basketball player that he could be. And as I got to know him, I wanted to be the best big brother that I could be. To do that, you have to put up with the aggravation, the late night calls, or the dumb questions. I took great pride as I got to know Kobe Bryant, that he was just trying to be a better person, a better basketball player. We talked about business. We talked about family. We talked about everything. And he was just trying to be a better person. Now he's got me. I'll have to look at another crime meme for the next. I told my wife I wasn't going to do this because I didn't want to see that for the next three or four years. <laughs> that is what Kobe Bryant does to me. I'm pretty sure Vanessa and his friends all can say the same thing. He knows how to get to you in a way that affects you personally, even though if he's being a pain in the ass. But it sh he always, you ever have a sense of love for him in the way that he can bring out the best in you. And he did that for me.
All right, folks, my panel is Mario King, the mayor of Moss Point, Mississippi, Eugene Craig, CEO, Eugene Craig Organization, Mustafa Santiago, a lead former senior advisor for environmental justice for the EPA. So certainly uh, that was a, um, uh, a, a moving service. I, I saw a, somebody sent a tweet out, though, that I thought was very interesting. Uh, it actually, it was Lovish, and she sent a tweet out, and she said that the death of Kobe Bryant uh, has allowed black men to be able to mourn publicly and be able to sh be able to cry, be able to um, um, uh, express themselves in a way they normally don't. Thought that was a pre uh, certainly was was an interesting uh, thought there. I agree. I think that um, this number one, when you connect a child with anything, um, it, it becomes very emotional. But for people like myself that has two daughters and a son, it's, it's very emotional to see this. And I think um, it, it just shows the display of our love and, and our affection and that black men aren't always this big bad wolf and that we do have a soft side of us. And I think that what he's done for our country and what he's done for us all together, this is this is great. And Kobe Bryant is, is exactly what um, we all want to be when it comes down to fathers and the depiction of him and, and what he did for his children being displayed all over the country is an example of how we really should be and should mirror ourselves as men. And some of us do that, but I think this is just a great reminder of that. It has been remarkable. I mean, look, it's been a month, and I mean, the tributes have continued in numerous venues. Uh, I was at the American Black Film Festival Honors last night uh, at the Image Awards on Saturday, uh, and there were tributes in both of those shows to yeah. Kobe Bryant. Um, not only in, in the in the in memoriam section, but also uh, Lou Gossett Jr. and others. Yeah, the, this, this interesting thing about it is this: um, when celebrities die, it impacts people differently. And um, the thing about Kobe is that, especially for a lot of people, folk in my generation, um, we watched him develop. You know, most of us were kids when he got drafted, and were adults when he ended his career. And throughout that twenty or so year time span. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, moments that we got the experience to share with Kobe. And, uh, and you know, I, I equate it to, you know, similar to the, when Nipsey died. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you develop a special connection with somebody you may have never met, you know, a celebrity you may have never met, um, that, that, you know, when they pass, you know, you feel like you lost a part of yourself because that celebrity was a part of who you, who you are as a person. Also generational. I mean, the reality is, right. uh, I think if you look at um, if you look at uh, a previous generation, whether it's Dr. J, whether it's Jordan, uh, I think if you think about when you see the reaction when Aaliyah died, uh, how how a younger generation saw that compared to when Aretha Franklin dies again, and so it, it it's because oftentimes we we measure. We place markers in our lives based upon sort of these pop culture moments, a movie or a song or an athlete, and that also plays a part of this. Kobe was an icon. He was an icon because he did the work, you know, Absolutely. not only on the court but also off the court, and that's what separates, you know, someone can be just a great ball player, you know, basketball, football, baseball, whatever it might be, but they may not have the other components that make them truly a great person. And, you know, on the artistic side, the work that he did, you know, his philanthropy, all these various things, Colby um, was a perfectionist. He was someone who was focused on perfection and always trying to do something better and to get better. Uh, and now, but Greg Carr actually, and, and I put this out there because I was actually, I literally, I just landed, folks, about <laughs> an hour and 30 minutes ago from Los Angeles. Uh, and he had posted that he found it interesting that 
Not a single person. That there was, there was no discussion about Kobe's life before he was a Laker. Mm. No, no, no folks he did, who grew up with, classmates. Uh, and they also said that there was, wasn't a single acknowledgement to his parents mm. by one person. No, nobody oh. said, pray for Kobe's parents and siblings. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant, his parents are still living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His siblings are still living. They paid to him earlier during the, uh, during the memorial. Um, I think this is right. And I, I, like kinda, I actually kind of like how, how his wife Vanessa did it, right? There were moments for the family, um, and then there was moments for Kobe Bryant, the public figure. Well, what well, well, we say the family really just... Her and the daughters. Well, well, well no, no, they had a bed of private ceremony for, right, for family and close friends. And so, and so what we saw today was, hey, this is, you know, the memorial service of Kobe Bryant, the public figure that we know. Um, I mean, all the speakers were around, essentially structured around his life as a player, as a Laker. I mean, uh, you know, from his impact on the WNBA to uh, having his agent and, and, and now manager of the Lakers uh, speak and to having the two probably most impactful people in his career, you know, Michael Jordan and Shaq, um, you know, speak, and they all spoke to him, to his, his, his legacy. Um, you know, this was a, you know, this was a moment for the public and the image of Kobe Bryant that the public had. And, and I think, you know, I think strategically, um, especially in light of some of the other angles some, you know, journalists may take on, on Kobe Bryant, right? I think strategically, you know, this is something, it's another marker there for uh, carrying on his legacy. I also think that, you know, when we think about the whole incident, the tragedy was surrounding around a man and his daughter. And I think that is, is so hard to, to regroup and take the focus off of a man losing his child. And that being a celebrity just kind of exacerbates the whole discussion around Kobe Bryant, the celebrity. But you hear Kobe and Gigi, 24, 8, and 2. You hear yeah. these things all together because we, we understand, and I, I, a lot of people do understand the family portion of it, but when you think about it, everybody's thinking that Kobe Bryant and his daughter, these are two people that lost their lives. And even I've seen a lot of people now starting to relate to the other seven individuals and the capacity of that within itself of, of seven families and another father and daughter, a mother a mother and a father and their daughter. So, so many people lost their lives, but it was all depicted around that same imagery of a man, a father losing their child. Got it. Well, speaking of that, uh, uh, today, the memorial service was today, but also uh, in a courtroom, uh, Vanessa uh, Bryant's attorneys filed a lawsuit today against the helicopter company, Mm -hmm. as well as the pilot Mm -hmm. uh, who also died in that helicopter crash. It was a, a course that was filed in Los Angeles Superior Court. According to her wrongful death lawsuit, the pilot was careless and negligent of flying in cloudy conditions on January 26th and should not and should have aborted the flight uh, that killed all the folks there. The lawsuit is against Island Express Helicopters, Inc., as well as the pilot and his family, uh, Ara Zobayan. Now, um, some people said, thought that was a little difficult that he'd get this memorial service that, that honored Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and the seven others who died. And you file a lawsuit against the pilot's family, who are also grieving because he died also in the plane crash. Uh, but that happened today. 
uh, as well there uh, in a courtroom in Los Angeles. So we'll certainly see uh, what happens uh, with that story there moving forward. And so uh, we, we can certainly expect uh, certainly more things to happen in the future. Folks, in New York, Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein was found guilty of rape in a criminal's criminal sexual act today. He was facing a total of five sex crime charges and was found not guilty of the most serious charges against him. Those charges predatory sexual assault could have landed him in prison for life. After the verdict, Weinstein was ordered to head to jail to await sentencing on March 11th. Now, that's interesting there, first of all, uh, you know, uh, when you look at this case, now, found guilty in New York, but he's still going to face trial uh, in Los Angeles. Harvey Weinstein could spend the rest of, his, rest of his life in prison. Even though the predatory charges had been convicted of those, those would have been life in prison. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, he essentially got a virtual life in prison, sen prison sentence, right? Um, there are a couple things here. First, he's 67 years old. Um, you know, I read that he's probably facing somewhere between 5 to 29 years, and that's just this case alone. Right. Um, and, you know, the science shows that, you know, every year in prison that you take, is, that, you that you serve, uh, essentially a, a year comes off of your life just because of the conditions of prison. So even if he takes that, even if he gets the minimum, what, five years, right? I mean, if he does five straight, you know, he's coming out at 72, he's probably not lasting too much, living too much longer because of it. I mean, he already, he's already in bad health, and I'm pretty sure once he gets in there, you know, who knows what happens Well, we think we he's think in he's bad in bad health. health. Right. <laughs> I think that's a whole lot of action yeah. going on right there. Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden he needs a, a roller slash walker, and <laughs> if you watch him when he lets that go to the side, then he straightens up a little bit, grabs hold of the rail. You know, we all know the theatrics that go yeah. on for some folks who've been caught in this situation. But it, but here's the reality of what's going on. You know, one, when he finds time, when he gets to the place where he's going to be spending the rest of his time, 60% of the men who've been in federal prison have also dealt with sexual assault. Yep. And then we also got to remember this, too, because we sometimes we get focused on these high-profile cases, which they deserve the attention. We got almost 18 million women in this country who have been sexually assaulted, um, who are dealing with rape or attempted rape. We've got, uh, what is it, one in six uh, women who have been through this type of a situation. And, and as I was sharing with someone earlier today, when brothers sometimes think, well, this is just a female problem, we got one in 10 men who have also dealt with sexual assault or rape situations. So we need to also just get really focused on this. One, we need to Absolutely. make sure there are stronger laws. So when he's able to get off on some of these predatory charges, then we need to take a look at those, you know, the way that that's structured right now to make sure this type of thing is not happening. Absolutely. I think that we need to take it serious, number one, and I think that we need to watch our justice system and make sure that everybody has this right, this equal justice play out. I think that what he's done is there's no excuse for it. I think, like you said, if he get this minimum five years, I don't, it, I don't care if he if he did it or, or if he if he the mac the minimum sentence or I don't care how old, how young he is. My thing is he need to serve his time. He need to be accountable, fully accountable for what he's done. I think that oftentimes that we take these things and we say, oh, he's old and oh, he's on the walker, but is he? But even if he's not, I don't think that's really something that I'm concerned with. I just think that if he, he was found guilty, litigation is an opportunity for us to be able to discuss the facts. Oh, yeah. He was a part, his, he was fact-based, he was found guilty. I think he need to serve his time and I think he need to, it needs to be served to the, the max because these children, these, these people that were victims of his, 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 
his his inconsideration and his his his, his negative his negligence his, mm-hmm. his his abuse of power i think when you think about all of those things we need to keep that stuff in mind and when we think about the victims of these types of things yep. the one in ten men the, yep. the all the women the the me too movement this is when it really shows and right. this is our opportunity the the justice system opportunity to show us that it's important and that it's serious all right folks in chicago justice Willette pleaded not guilty to six counts of disorderly conduct before judge james lynn a new indictment earlier this month alleged that the actor made four separate false reports to Chicago police after the January 29, 2019 incident. Smollett's lawyers filed motions with the Illinois Supreme Court seeking a stay in the criminal case in Chicago, a dismissal of the indictment, and asking that a prior court order establishing lawyer Dan Webb as special prosecutor be vacated. In addition, defense attorneys filed, filed paperwork before Lynn requesting that the case be tossed out since it violates Smollett's double jeopardy protections. The next hearing will take place on March 18th. Got to go to a break. When we come back, we'll talk politics and what's happening in South Carolina right here in Roller Martin Unfiltered. To me, there are no greater patriots in America's long history than the black citizens who are willing to die for a nation that was denying them their rights. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan to fight for those sacrifices that have been taken for granted for far too long. And I've got to think it was in hopes that their service and sacrifice might redeem those rights for their children and grandchildren. Introducing the Greenwood Initiative, a bold new plan to help black Americans create generational wealth. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. There are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Racism is not an excuse to not do the best you can. American professional tennis player, Arthur Ashe. All right, folks, are you looking to enhance your leadership or that of your team in 2020? Well, you should join Dr. Jackie Hood Martin for her newest online course at Mastermind Group, How Successful People Think. She'll be your guide as you learn timeless leadership principles to apply to daily living. The offer expires on February 28th, that's this week, so register for or start the online course today. Go to www.livetolead.com forward slash Leesburg, live, L-I-V-E, the number two, LEAD.com forward slash Leesburg. All right, folks, this weekend, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders uh, smoked his competition in Nevada, uh, blowing everyone away to take the lead when it co- and, and cement his status as the frontrunner Democratic nomination. But now it's on to South Carolina. Tomorrow night, they're going to be in Charleston, South Carolina, for the debate airing on CBS, simulcast on BET as well. Uh, and on the stage will be uh, the same candidates from last week, uh, which includes Senator Bernie Sanders, Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Tom Steyer, 
Mayor Mike Bloomberg, and also Senator Amy Klobuchar. Now, this is being sponsored by the Congressional Black Caucus Institute. Uh, polls showing right now that uh, Vice President Joe Biden is leading in South Carolina, but Tom Stiers uh, is in a strong second place. Bernie Sanders is also uh, moving up as well. Uh, Mustafa, this is going to be a very uh, tough um, uh, a week. This is the first time black voters really get their say. Upwards of 60% of the primary voters uh, in South Carolina will be African-American. Uh, I hope, though, tomorrow night uh, with this debate, you're actually going to hear questions uh, that black people care about as opposed to moderators going all over the place and then every now and then coming back to uh, questions pertaining to us, considering this is a Congressional Black Caucus Institute-sponsored debate. Yes. And I, I'm surprised that uh, Klobuchar is actually showing up since she hasn't shown up on any uh, media colors uh, shows to answer <laughs> any of the tough questions. So it's on them now. And, you know, it's interesting also that there needs to be questions on environmental racism. There needs to be questions about housing justice and economic justice and what are they actually going to do in that space um, and, and, and a number of other things that are there. And I predict that when we get done with the South Carolina primary, that there's going to be some surprises. I think that you're going to have a one and two, and I don't know which way it's going to go, where you're going to have Steyer and you're going to have Sanders and not Biden. Well, I, I have a slightly different take on it. I think Biden probably <laughs> spoke the hell out of this primary. Okay. Um, you know, Bernie, you know, he did well in Nevada, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the narrative that went out was that, you know, he did well among voters of color. Um, you know, Bakari Sellers put out an interesting tweet where he essentially said, look, there were 10,000 Hispanic voters and 6,000 black voters. That's going to be one small minor county in mm -hmm. South Carolina um, come, come this upcoming Saturday. And so the thing is this, I think coming out of, coming out of debate, um, you know, we'll see what happens on the stage. And I do hope that we get, you know, being that this will be a debate centered around black issues, it should be, that we get good discussion around black issues, solutions to black issues. Um, but coming out of the debate, going, to, going into Saturday, uh, the primary on Saturday, I think Biden does really well. Um, I think Steyer probably does make a strong place in second or third, enough to, enough to get him a delegate to keep him around if he decides to stick around. Um, but I think, you know, look, Amy and Peter are going to have a hard time. I think Bernie's going to have a hard time. Bernie has a hard ceiling. He has a hard 25 30% ceiling, um, which looks really, really good in really small states like Nevada, but in a big state with a big population, he's going to have trouble. But, how, but first of all, how do, we know, how do we know he has a ceiling? Because, well, because, because the reality is... Um, uh, and, Mary, you understand this. When you win, bottom line is, there's momentum. Okay. And, when you, and when you come out and you look at it now, so really, he eked out a win in Iowa, wins in New Hampshire, wins in Nevada. You look at the polling numbers, uh, that Biden lead is shrinking fast. I agree with you, and I think that... I, so I can kind of look at all points of it. So first and foremost, that when you win, you do gain a momentum, and that momentum is really hard to sustain. Um, so he can mess it up with one quick move, but I do think it's going to be out of Bernie and Biden. I think that the reason is because when you have black supporters, they always related to Barack Obama and uh, President Barack Obama, and I think that that's going to play a huge role in it. But I do think that when we look at Senator Sanders, he's a surpriser. He's one of those people that he's supported by this, what we call a hidden group of people that comes out of the woodworks, but these people are registering to vote, they're getting very involved, and they're actually supporting his campaign. And so when people feel like they can be a part of something, which is what he's been able to do, is galvanize people and make them feel a part of his campaign and a part of his team, no matter where you are in the country, you, you find him being this front runner. Now, at the end of the day, uh, 
elections can always surprise us, and so elections start off this way, and then they end up this way. So right now we can all give these big things, but I think when we talk about this actual um, this actual debate that's going to happen, one of the problems that I think we see in debates across the country is like, who cares about foreign policy that's sitting on their couch that works at McDonald's mm -hmm. or a nurse or somebody that's there? We need to have real issues that they really discuss and ask questions that's going to actually be able to help the voters relate. But, 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 but I do think tomorrow you are going to see questions about uh, the coronavirus come up. The yes. stock market dropped more than a thousand yeah. points today. That's huge. Mm -hmm. uh, this thing is now about to about to be reach a global pandemic. Uh, I think I think that's going to come up. But I. I, I, I said this in the last debate. Uh, people kept telling me I was crazy. Then y'all saw what happened. I think what's going to happen tomorrow night, I think the two people who are going to be the most aggressive tomorrow night are going to be, again, Sir Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. yes. I think Joe Biden. The difference this time, though, their fire is not going to be just at Mike Bloomberg. Yeah. They, ha they are going to have to go after Senator Bernie Sanders uh, they cannot allow him to go through another debate unscathed, yep. and I think that's I think that's what's going to happen tomorrow. I think I, see, I think Senator Klobuchar is going to be desperate. Uh, first of all, uh, she barely even mentions black people, uh, <laughs> and so I think she's going to be have a real problem tomorrow Listen, night. She's not uh, Super Tuesday. She she's, she's well, first of all, I, I'm not sure she can get Super Tuesday. <laughs> well, right. she, so, well so, her home state's on Super Tuesday, so she's not going to concede before her home state. Well, but, but I think uh, unless uh, unless though again. She doesn't do well. Look, she didn't do well in Nevada. Don't do well in uh, South Carolina. Carolina. Look, one of the issues that at some point you're gonna have to have some Democratic Party leaders say, "Hey, <laughs> Amy, <laughs> Pete, time for y'all ass to go." There's only three people right now who have the money to actually continue Fight, yeah. to race, and one of them is Bloomberg, whether you like him or not. Yeah. The other uh, one is Steyer, and uh, the other one is Sanders. Mm -hmm. So money is incredibly important. In relationship to being yeah, able to not, go but, 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 but here's the deal, though. After the last debate, Elizabeth Warren had her best fundraising today. Second, I think Joe Biden wins Saturday in South Carolina. I think his people calm the hell down. His fundraising ticks up, ticks up as well. So I, I think, I think, first of all, I do believe no one's going to drop out after South Carolina. But I do, but I do believe, though. I do believe, and I keep saying this here. March fourth. It's really the day of reckoning because then it's kind of like, okay. You don't have what, delegates. What does this really look like? Well, not even really delegates. The question is the path forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What does it look like? Yes. And I think on March 4th, day after Super Tuesday, I think it's going to be, it's really going to be for Warren, Judge, and Klobuchar, mm -hmm. it's going to be probably curtains, depending upon what happens on Super Tuesday. Now, again, you might have some surprises there. Warren is... And I keep telling people... Warren is a different Warren, type of... First Warren, of all, Warren, Warren is a... Oh, wait, 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 wait. First, Warren is one of those people that came out early and really came out very strong. So she's down right now. You know, you can't count a person out just because they're down. And I'm telling you, elections are very unique, especially national yeah. elections. Mm -hmm. Warren is a very... She she tries to... She, she She's culturally aware... Mm -hmm. Can't, I'm never going to say that a white person is culturally competent and understand black issues, but what I would say is she tries. And so I would be very surprised if she don't hit y'all on the head and, and come out on top in this, this debate. You know, and then the other thing is, and, you know, I love women empowerment. Warren is a woman. Yeah. She is going to study. She is going to be ready, and she's going to be focused. The, the thing that's is, and that's why I said, hold on, hold on, I'm going to go to you, but that's why I said, look, her performance in the last debate was not going to show up in Nevada because it was too late. Yeah. That's right. Her performance 
tomorrow is really not about Saturday. It's about next Her Tuesday. performance tomorrow is about Super Tuesday. Yeah. And again, I think as you're sitting out there, if you have these progressives who don't like Bloomberg, they're not set on fire by uh, Biden, don't really like Pete or Amy, the reality is, Warren, it really is the best, ne- the best next person who is like Sanders, who's not Sanders. Yeah. That's and so, right. I, so I go. think she benefits, benefits from that. And again, uh, and that's why for her, she has to crush it again tomorrow. Yeah. Either because also, uh, polling, exit polling showed, same thing with Klobuchar to New Hampshire. Late deciding people, mm-hmm. a third of them went towards Klobuchar. Late deciders in Nevada, they went to Warren. I think if she comes out hard against Bloomberg, mm-hmm. hard against Sanders, frankly, hard against Biden, because here's the deal. She's the only one, her and Steyer tomorrow, are the only ones on that stage who, ha- who has no criminal justice baggage. Yeah. Yeah. Every single rest of them, Klobuchar, yeah. Pete, Biden, Bloomberg, right. Sanders, all of them got issues. And so that's, that's the only way she can stay in the game. Mm-hmm. She has to go straight up um, just just carpet bombing folks tomorrow to say, yo, y'all want to look at me. Go ahead. Yeah, so the thing is this. I agree with you. And if she does that, I think Super Tuesday still it becomes a four-way race. And I think we get to, you know, we get to, to July 13th at the convention with nobody having a majority of delegates. And uh, on that second ballot, you have your nominee decided, second or third ballot. I think probably maybe go to a fourth ballot. And I think, I'll, I'll be throwing something wild out there. I even think that you might see Kamala's name pop back up at the convention as a, <laughs> as a wait, 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 as an as a unbattered nominee. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as an unbattered nominee, if you get to a third, first of all, hold on, hold on. Don't even waste your breath with the convention. We ain't even there. Okay, we so, no, 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 we're not. No, we're not. If you look we're, at no, it, no, we're not there. It's a waste of time. Bernie's a, not... It, no, it is a waste of airtime to talk about what might happen in July when we ain't even gotten to March. I will say this. March, March, March 3rd, March 4th, after Super Tuesday, you'll have a good trajectory. You can be yes, able to and project and, and, and what's going to happen. And no, well, no, uh. first, first of all, you can't project what's going to happen because, again, I go back to 1992. Bill Clinton did not win his first state until the sixth yeah. primary. Then he lost seven in a row. I agree with you. So, I'm not... And then he wins two. He wins three out of the first 14. Yeah. So, so all I'm saying is, right, you, you can't predict any of this. Again, I think what happens is you have a massive reset on March 4th. Yes. Because mm-hmm. here's the other piece. With all of Bloomberg's money, he has to prove he can win. What happens on Super Tuesday if he only wins one state? All of a sudden, it's like... Dude, you dropped a whole bunch of money, and all you won was one well, state not, it's not about, out of 15? It's not, it's not, it's not about... The, the, the rules of the Democrat Party are much different than the rules of the Republican Party. If they're yeah, Republican proportional. Primary, it's, it, the winners take off. <laughs> the Democrats no, no. are proportional. But you, but you, but you, but but, you, but you still so, need a win. See, you, the thing you, is this, you, thing you, is you this, gotta be able to say, this. I no, won. You have to, this, this is a delegate accumulation race. That's the only thing that matters. Well, hold up. First a of all, delegate okay. accumulation but here's a piece, though. So if that's the case, Warren is sitting third in delegates, and so, watch she drop out. Judge is sitting right now second in delegates. See, that's, how, that's yeah, what I'm and saying. I, and I agree, I agree with you. But come Super Tuesday, those, those, those rankings and delegates are going to dramatically change because of people like Pete and first Amy all, one and third, Warren aren't going to qualify in a lot of states. First of all, one, th- one third of the delegates are going to be up uh, for Super Tuesday. Right. My point is this, though. You still have to claim a win. You can sit here and say, hey, you know, I got nine delegates or 12. No, no, no. 
to stay in, you got to win yeah. something. And you got to be able to say, I want this state. Yeah. And what yeah, I'm saying, and what yeah. I'm saying is the amount of money Bloomberg has spent. Bloomberg is going to have to win, I say, five out of fifteen. That's fair. Because That's fair because assessment. if Bloomberg only wins one or two, it's gonna be like relevance. Bro, you spent four hundred and fifty million dollars <laughs> no, thus far, yeah. and all you all you want, you skip the first four, <laughs> and, and all you done is and, and you only won two out of fifteen, and then if Bernie takes five of those and Joe Biden takes four of those, it's kinda like you drop four hundred and fifty million dollars. But if it comes down, but if it comes down that he's a close second or third in delegates, that's where it's going to matter. I understand that's that. Where it's going to what I'm saying is, you're going to have to win. Yeah. Yeah. Bottom line is, you can parse the delegates all you want to. It's about winning. Yeah, it's the, about yeah. controlling the narrative. The facts I agree, are going to be towards winning. But right. I mean, that's it. Every set, we can week. Every other 48 hours, the narrative sets. But the reality is, it's simple. The facts are going to be based on who won. And even the Democratic <coughs> Party, like, we talk about delegates, talk about all this fancy stuff. But look, when we're talking to the people, they're going to want to know the winning. That's going to be the facts. And we, we get all off, off track when we start talking about this, this, these terms that people don't understand. Win. If you don't win, you're out. Right. And if he wins huh? one state, people are going to be like, hmm. They, like we just said, you just said it yourself. Like, we got to associate ourselves, want to associate ourselves with winning. Yeah. And so if... He doesn't win, then we're not going to be associating ourselves with him. People are not going to associate with him. So. And, if, and in fact, look, first of all, look, we, we understand how people look at this. But, but again, here's the deal. The, all of these rapid-fire endorsements has been positioned as Bloomberg is the only one who can beat Trump because he's got the money. Ridiculous. What I keep trying to tell everybody is it's you can't talk about November until you win the primary. The, 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 the primary. Yep. That's, what, that's what my whole deal is. All the discussion about the convention is all irrelevant. Here's the deal. Right now, Sanders is the front runner. Okay? Now, all of a sudden, Pete is hitting Sanders and dropping videos. Bloomberg is. Okay? So now, this race can literally flip in the next two months. You can go from front runner, ask Gary Hart, yeah. to what happens when you actually now have to run. Mm -hmm. All these things change. But all I'm saying, though, is I do think you're going to have to have a whittling of the field. I think, absolutely, the bottom is going to get sliced out. Yes. That means Tulsi, I don't know what the hell she's doing. Yeah. But anybody pay attention to her. But I think Steyer... She's persevering. I think, <laughs> I think Steyer, Klobuchar, Buttigieg are the three who are absolutely on the bubble, oh, yeah, they're meaning gone. you got to go. Now, Steyer, he's a billionaire, he so he want. doesn't have to go. But at some point, he's going to have to make a decision. Okay, I'm not... I'm running, and if I pull 8, 10, 12, 15%, who am I pulling it from? Yeah. Now, maybe, as some suggested, his whole deal is, I'm going to keep pulling my 8, 10, 12, 15. That's really coming from Joe, yep. and that's helping Bernie. Don't know. And what, but that has to shake out. Final I, comment. I agree with you. And what ends up happening is that, you know, Bernie does win a state. He's, a, he's winning it with 30, 35 percent of the vote, right? And what's also happening is that, you know, your folk like Buttigieg and Klobuchar and, and, and Steyer, you know, they're getting four or five, you know, less than 15 percent and aren't getting a single delegate out of it. So in one respect, it does help Bernie. But on the other side of it, it does help the other folk that get above 15 percent because the delegates are aligned proportionally. 
well. Uh, one of the things that we're also looking at, of course, uh, you got different candidates who are running for office all across the country, mm -hmm. uh, and then you uh, want, of course, so much attention is on the presidential race, yeah. but, but Democrats absolutely want to take back, um, keep the House, take back the United States Senate, but also they're really targeting a lot of these state legislatures all across, country, all across the country as well, which is one of the reasons why they're also concerned about who's going to be the top of the ticket, and that's why they're saying, hey, if Bernie's at the top ticket, we kiss the potential of winning the Senate goodbye and also some of these state legislatures. But one of the places uh, they want to be able to do is bolster their ranks in the House. Melissa Borum, she's running uh, for Congress uh, out of Indiana. Uh, she joins us right now. Melissa, you're running in which congressional district and who are you running against? I am running in the 1st Congressional District of Indiana, and there are 13 other um, opponents. Uh, so that's obviously a hell of a whole lot of different people. Uh, is it uh, is it winner take all? Do you have to get a majority of the you have to get um, majority of the votes, or is it fifty plus one? No, it's it's winner take all. So, um, what is your plan? First of all, who's the incumbent in that district? Congressman Pete Visklowski is the incumbent. He has been in um, office for thirty five years, and he will t retire that after thirty six. All right. So, um, um, what uh, f f for you? Um, how are you trying to uh, stand out among all those candidates? Um, I think what makes me different is um, being a, a Valpo Law graduate and being born in Northwest Indiana, I had the opportunity to work for Congressman Pete Visklowski, um, Senator Durbin, and also the House Committee on Appropriations. And for the last four years, I've managed government affairs for yes. AAR, a global aviation company. And so what we try to do is make sure that we build a sustainable workforce development pipeline into the aviation industry. So I've been on the ground level of building um, pipelines through educational um, pathway alternatives and, and bringing real opportunity to uh, communities where minorities live. Uh, and so first and foremost, um, when you talk about that particular district, uh, what is the split there? Is it red? Is it blue? Uh, what is it? It's it's definitely a Democratic um, jurisdiction. Uh, and so, um, uh, so it's, is it is it a safe blue seat? Um, and, and, it is safe. Okay. And so, one of the things that also jumped, uh, you, you work for uh, the congressman. Has he endorsed anyone in this race? He has not endorsed anyone in this race, but I've been endorsed by uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn, uh, Congressman Benny Thompson, Congressman uh, Cedric Richmond, and also Congresswoman uh, Marsha Fudge, which uh, that endorsement rolled out today. Okay. Um, also, uh, when you talk about what, what, what are the areas there in Indiana uh, who, who votes in that congressional district? Um, Gary, Indiana, um, East Chicago, Hammond, um, Maryville, it, it incorporates all of Lake County, all of Porter County, and mo uh, a sliver of LaPorte County. Um, and so there are a lot of cities and, and towns that um, is encompassed in this uh, district. All right, then. Well, certainly good luck uh, as you run for Congress. Thank you so much. All right, thanks a lot. Folks, we'll be featuring some other candidates uh, in other uh, places who are running as well, most of them largely on Super Tuesday. And so uh, we'll be we'll be showing you some of those folks as well. Got to go to a break. We'll be back on Roll Mark Unfiltered. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate that has a real plan for black youth in education. 
It's called the Greenwood Initiative. We'll make public college tuition free for all low-income students. We'll forgive college loans for students who were exploited by failed for-profit colleges. Mike knows investing in our teachers is investing in our children. We'll also recruit more black and Latino teachers as we did in New York City because studies show they can make all the difference. And we'll also invest much more in heavily historically black colleges and universities because many of the HBCUs are struggling. And the first step to achieving generational wealth is taken in the classroom. We'll incentivize state and localities to create financial literacy classes. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. They are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. Well, Mark Unfiltered, be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. So a lot of y'all always asking me about terms, some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Nope. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the, it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they make these about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear, so we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket square. Now what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that but if I wanted to also unlike other because if I flip it and turn it over it actually gives me a different type of texture and so therefore it gives me a different look so there you go so uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these shibori pocket squares we have them in 47 different colors all you got to do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares so it's rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who's a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, it goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, folks, at Black Patch, they dropped their poll and it shows that one third of black voters want somebody else running for president. According to their particular poll, more than 50% say Democrats are not paying enough attention to their issues, saying they spend far too much time on impeachment and other issues as well. Uh, uh, but of course, they also cannot stand Donald Trump. According to Black Pack's uh, poll, 76% uh, of black voters disapprove of Donald Trump's performance 
80% want him removed from office. And other black voters who, uh, who got contacted by the Trump campaign, 57% said it negatively influenced their willingness to vote for president. And it says here, the political story, nearly a quarter of voters said defeating Donald Trump was the most important to them in November. Look, here's the reality. I think when you look at this poll here, a mayor polls are a snapshot. The reality is mm -hmm. most of the attention leading up to, I would say, October, November, December, January was about Iowa and New Hampshire, two not largely white states. Yeah. Uh, and so, so it's, it's, no, it's no surprise there. Uh, but there, there, there is some concern uh, when it comes to uh, four Democrats because Donald Trump and his White House, they are focused on trying to get anywhere from 15 to 20 percent of black male voters. Uh, Elizabeth Warren did a sit-down conversation with a group of black men that was organized, and she said, look, her deal was she wanted to listen, as opposed to sort of just keep saying what she wanted to do. Uh, that's an area Democrats must be paying attention to. The first thing I, I heard that was interesting in there is that people, black people actually going to the polls. Um, we talked about this before, but, you know, we got to, number one, we got to go to the polls and see what's real about this, which, which was real about the discussions that we have. But the other piece of it is, is that we can talk about black males and, and, and again, these are polls. These are just um, snapshots of what yeah. people think and what people feel. These are not, fact, it's not factual data. And I don't really know who did that poll, but. Cornell Belcher. Okay, so look, this is the reality. One of the top black pollsters in the country. Yeah, you don't get it wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I, look, I, I respect this. I respect it. You know, I get it. I respect everybody's research and what they do. But when we talk about um, the, the actual polls and actually what's going to happen in the November election, the first thing is, is everybody run for office because everybody think they can do it. Okay? Donald Trump and along with the rest of, of, of these people, they, they make these promises. Okay, and it's about what promises they really make to the people. We get again, we get very focused and we get very down bad on on these ideas of, of foreign policy and all these fancy things. But the reality is, it's the promises they make. And when we see Donald Trump, we see him meeting with pastors. We see him bringing on people like um, that, that he's helping and really dealing with prison reform, which we know he really isn't. Really isn't. But when you when you do certain things and when you really um, do things that that appeal to the people and you're popular and you know, it happens. And then let's be let's also be honest. The Republican Party, you know more than all of us, <laughs> the Republican Party, they are very, very structured. And they're 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 very, very entitled. And they go out and they're very they 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 get votes and they sustain them. And they they win at the end. So but I think what's happening here, I mean, first of all, it's no shock. I see this poll, if you're a third of black people want somebody else to run, because it's not like um, folks, folks are just bowled over. But also, I think we got to understand something. You, you have a generation of young voters who their first president was a black guy. Yeah. Okay, like in 2008. That's 12 years ago. Okay, so if you were, if you were 10 and years... progressive if, policies. If you, well, no, forget that. Mm -hmm. He black. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so, so bottom line is this here. If you were 10 years old, Okay, Obama was elected. Means you were 18 when his term was up. Mm -hmm. All right, which means that by November 2020, you're now 20. Yep. See, so your view of who I want to be president is changed because of him. Second, he also was a once-in-a-generation president. Absolutely. If you look at, and, and just in terms of, if you just look at historically, you take Obama in 2008, 
maybe you want to say Clinton 92. I don't believe so. I say you have to go back to Reagan. Okay, that's 1980. So you have a, a gap of 28 years. Reagan, you ain't gotta go, you gotta go back to then JFK, 1960. That's a gap of 20 years. Yeah. In, in terms of JFK, you gotta go back to Eisenhower, FDR. FDR not, yeah. not, not Eisenhower. Well, I mean, FDR, Eisenhower FDR. was a war hero, but he wasn't a he was boring. Yeah. He wasn't a generational right. leader. It's FDR. So now I gotta go back almost 30 years. And so you have to, so, so, so when people say, I want somebody who's going to excite me and, uh, and motivate me, that only happens once a generation. Absolutely. So, so that, that's, that's what I'm talking about here. And so it's no surprise that you sort of have, have that, that view. Uh, and that's why people say, oh, my God, I can't believe all Bernard can dropped out. And I had to remind people, historically, black people yeah. have not supported black presidential candidates. Right. Obama yep. actually was the first. I mean, yet Reverend Jackson, I'm talking about in terms of, in, in, uh, you know, in that way. And so I think what black voters uh, uh, are also looking at here is you're going to have to address, again, to me, the nuances of what's going on. Eugene, I go back, the Democrat, there's a nine-point gap yeah. between black women who voted for Obama versus Romney and black men it was nine, okay? It was a 13-point gap between black women and black men with Hillary versus uh, Trump. Trump White House, they told me this. They said, we think we can get 20%. Mm -hmm. Democrats had better start asking themselves, what, it, what is it that black men, what is it, what are they... What, what, what is Trump doing that is appealing to these black men to get them interested? Uh, just a little bit inside baseball here. I agree with you. Um, I agree with you with every point there. Um, and Team Trump, particularly certain factions of Team Trump, because uh, the broader folk that are power players within Team Trump still don't, you know, give two Fs about the black vote. But there are certain factions of Team Trump that think that, hey, you know, Paris has set on the record, they can go from 8 to 13% broadly, and they want to shoot for that 20% among black men. Um, I think, honestly, what it comes down to is engagement, to be honest with you. I think Democrats over the last, yeah. you know, X amount of years, you know, going back to Hillary's campaign, have lacked in the engagement. And Team Trump, you know, saw a couple uh -huh. things that happened on the, on the RNC side in 2016, and now they're going to attempt to do a couple things on the actual campaign side. The issue that they have is that Trump is still nuclearly toxic, um, but they do. But they. But what they do understand is that although he is nuclearly toxic, if you go in and you figure out what particular issues that certain black men like that appeal to them, whether it be business, whether it be just you know, okay, hey, we're going to try out Alice Johnson and talk about criminal justice reform. Um, you know, you can probably, you can possibly peel off some voters there. Um, but their game is just to play around the margins. And I think if Democrats are going to play defense here, or more particularly play offense, I think the broader aspect of the poll there shows that, hey, it, it, it's a reflection of the lack of engagement. You know, Joe Biden, you know, early on engaged black voters, you know, uh, Kamala engaged black voters. Um, you know, you're seeing one of the reasons you're seeing, you know, the black surge around Bloomberg is because he's engaging black people right now. Mm -hmm. You know, Amy and Pete and folk aren't getting the support mm -hmm. because they are not engaging black people. Um, and I think that's that's the biggest point coming out of that poll. But you know, I think there's enough toxicity around Team Trump. Look, I'm a black Republican. I'm a lifelong Republican. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, now granted, I took the unique stance of saying, you know, F Trump, I'm a never Trumper. You know, and that means never, never, which means that for the first time I'm probably voting Democrat this, this cycle, depending on who it is, who the nominee is. Um, but <laughs> the thing there is this. I can tell you that there is enough toxicity around Trump mm -hmm. that reason that, that most black people are going to say no to Trump, but even black Republicans will say no to Trump if you give them a reason to. Um, but I also understand, you know, knowing that politics is very cerebral, very sniper light, not necessarily shotgun light, but very sniper light, where you zone in on a particular target um, and just hammer it in and just keep shooting at it. That if Team Trump applies that, and you know whoever the Democrat nominee or the DNC or the outside organizations don't do their job and engage, and it has to be engagement. It has to, it has to, Democrats this cycle have to do essentially what Cambridge Analytica did last cycle: figure out what your particular issue is, and then come in and hammer it in. But that's what Team Trump's doing. They're gonna they're gonna you know run that the you know okay these are our 86 issues that. That, that we can talk about and figure out, you know, what you particularly like and what you particularly like, and then carve out a margin. And and unless Democrats, you know, fight the same way, they're going to be successful at it. Like I said, Republicans know how to sustain a vote. They they go. But, out I, but, and I, I, but I don't necessarily agree with that because the thing is this, you know, this would be the one of the few times that Republicans yeah. actually take the black vote seriously. We do it at the state level. Christie was successful. Yep. Kate was successful. Hogan was successful twice. But national level, you know, the RNC typically disregards the black vote. Mustafa. You have to make the investments in the black yeah. community. We know that. But now Trump actually has a record that he has to run on. So before he could make all kinds of promises without anybody being able to ground truth any of that. You know, wealth disparity in our country is at one of its largest uh, in history. We know that affordable housing, they have not made the investments there, so it's much more difficult now for folks to find affordable housing. We can talk about all the impacts that are happening to communities of color because of pollution and other things. But it all, you know, it really comes down to jobs also. And, you know, they have not created the types of jobs that are necessary inside of our community. But none of that is going to matter if the DNC and others are not willing to make the investments inside of our community so that the organizations who are on the ground, those organizations of color, can actually properly engage with folks and there be an authentic process. I don't think that you're going to get an authentic process from either side. But what I will say that you will get is if you get somebody out there that's going to make the investment on the popular issues. The thing I think that the DNC do not do well is, is that they don't have any really true issues. They talk a lot and they say a lot. Everybody is on a different page. With the Republican Party, we can talk about it, we can disagree about it, but they sustain the votes because they have very specific issues. They narrow in on it, like you yeah. said, and they hit it, they target it, they hit it, hit it, hit yeah, it. Yeah, but, but the other thing is... No, that, no, 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 but let's also just be clear, okay? First of all, there are some basic fundamental facts that we have to recognize with elections. Uh, and... Some of y'all might be getting real pissed off at me right now, but I really don't care, because you have to understand the math. So let me just be as, as blunt as possible. These candidates are not talking to black and Latinos. They're talking to white people. Yep, 100%. Okay, let me explain to you what I'm talking about. In the last election, 71 or 72% of the total electorate was white. Do y'all hear me? What I'm saying is, of all votes cast in the last election, 71 or 72 percent were cast by white Americans. The reality is, if you're black and Latino, you're really waiting to see what white folks are going to figure out before who you vote for. I'll go back to 2008. Polling data was real clear. 
African Americans, uh, not quite sure what white folks are gonna do when it comes to Obama. Obama goes to Iowa, uh, really, really, really white state. Who he wins Iowa. Black people are like, all right, white folks cool with Obama. We see what they did, now we can roll. It's a fact. Now we can sit here and, and act like it's not the case. This election, depending upon what turnout is, this election will be the first election in American history where less than 70% of the electorate is white. It will be 68-69, okay? So when you talk about these issues, you have to understand numbers are numbers. And so, black and Latinos, the reason we keep saying, talk about our issues, because first of all, we have to over-index. Yes. That's what we have to do. We have to over-index on our vote to make up for the number of whites who aren't voting. And so, it's understanding numbers. Second, we talked about this last week with the data from Cornell Belcher. Since 1964, no Democrat has received more than 39% of the white vote. Let me say that again. No Democrat has received more than 39% of the white vote. So when the mayor's talking about Republicans and their issues, no, let's just be real clear. Republican Party is a white party. Let me say it again. Republican Party is a white party. Republican Party is not a diverse party. Nope. They got a couple of people like Eugene. <laughs> they got a couple of people like Anna Navarro. But that's what they are. And so the reality is, they can only speak to three or four issues. Truth is, the Democrat tent is much larger. Mm-hmm. So as a result, those under the Democrat tent make more demands of who is running for president because it's a larger tent. So if you're a Democrat, you got to speak to African Americans, Latinos, you got to speak to Asians, LGBTQ, you got to speak to those who care about the environment. It, it, it's, it's like there are more constituencies in the Democratic Party who are vying for attention, saying, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. On the Republican side, it's real clear. You white, you conservative, you love Jesus. <laughs> Howard Dean said, God gays guns. So you have to understand what is going on here. And so what Trump wants to do is to pick off, if I can pick off 15, 16, 17, I can offset, okay, black women turn out over here. That's all that is. And so you have to understand how the game is being played. But again, no Democrat since 1964. What's the correlation? LBJ ran for re-election in 64. Okay, after that, he signed the Civil Rights Act in 64, voting rights after 65, fair housing after 68, and white voters, white voters were not happy and have not been happy. Since. And more than in, in 60% or more of white voters in America have voted for the Republican candidate. Which is why any of y'all talking about staying at home is a dumbass. And I'm saying it for a reason. Because you have to understand, Mm -hmm. if you say my vote doesn't count, it damn sure don't count if your ass stay at home. (laughs) But you have to look at the data to understand 
really what is going on here. That was a 2.4% drop black voter turnout in 2016. The first time in 20 years it had dropped. Understand? So I'm not blaming black people for Trump winning. White women got to bear that burden. 53% of white women voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. Also, college-educated white folks, the numbers who voted for Trump as well. But we have to understand numbers. So when you say, Kansas are not talking to me, 71, 72% total electorate white. Everybody else over here, that's how they are looking to and speaking to issues. Just understand that. It's basic math. But I think a lot of us don't want to understand that. Got to go to break. We come back. We're going to pay tribute to Katherine Johnson as well as B. Smith on Rollerbart Unfiltered. Mike Bloomberg is the only Democratic presidential candidate who understands that wealth creation and the current racial wealth gap is linked to past racism and has a plan to address the impact on black America. The crimes against black Americans still echo across the centuries and no single law can wipe out that slate clean. The time has come, I think, to fully commit ourselves to acknowledging our history and righting our country's wrongs. And that's exactly what I will do as president. It's called the Greenwood Initiative. One, we will help a million more black families buy a house. Two, we will double the number of black-owned businesses. Three, we will help black families triple their wealth over the next 10 years to an all-time high. Mike will get it done. Visit MikeForBlackAmerica.com to learn more. There are concrete proposals that we can afford and that we can get done, and we will. I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. Paid for by Mike Bloomberg 2020. You want to check out Rollerbart Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Folks, Katherine Johnson, the NASA Langley Research Center um, mathematician, of course, who was, um, uh, you saw her in the movie Hidden Figures, played by Taraji Hansen, died uh, today, age of 101 years old. It was a result of the research of an author who discovered all of these black women who were doing amazing things uh, at NASA, decided to write that book and it turned into a blockbuster film as well. She has been lauded. Uh, in a significant way uh, since that movie came out. And it was a great time to see her given the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama. Here's some of that video. All right, folks, we're getting the video together here. Now, remember, it was her calculations done with pencil and paper on chalk and blackboard that put John Glenn and other astronauts into orbit and brought them safely home. She was part of the team of human computers who inspired, as I said, Margot Lee, uh, Shetty Lee's best-selling book, Hidden Figures. Here's President Barack Obama saluting her with Presidential Medal of Freedom. Growing up in West Virginia, 
Katherine Johnson counted everything. She counted steps, she counted dishes, she counted the distance to the church. By 10 years old, she was in high school. By 18, she had graduated from college with degrees in math and French. As an African-American woman, job options were limited, but she was eventually hired as one of several female mathematicians for the agency that would become NASA. Catherine calculated the flight path for America's first mission in space, the path that put, uh, and the path that put Neil Armstrong on the moon. She was even asked to double check the computer's math on John Glenn's orbit around the Earth. So if you think your job is pressure packed, hers meant that forgetting to carry the one might send somebody floating off into the solar system. <laughs> In her 33 years at NASA, Catherine was a pioneer who broke the barriers of race and gender, showing generations of young people that everyone can excel in math and science and reach for the stars. And of course, we also lost restaurateur, model, author B. Smith. She died on Saturday after a battle with Alzheimer's disease. According to her husband, Dan Gatsby, she was 70 years old. In addition to building restaurants and a home decor collection over the years, she's a fashion model, actress, broadcast talent, best-selling cookbook author. In 1976, she became one of the first African-American women to appear on the cover of Mademoiselle magazine. B. Smith was style. Her syndicated talk show aired nationally on NBC stations for several years. She also ran three popular restaurants, including one here in Washington, D.C., she was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 64 in 2013. Folks, um, again, two, two amazing women. Uh, I knew B. Smith uh, very well. We're often dying with her and her husband, Dan. Uh, certainly was just so sad. I mean, just a, one of the most creative women uh, out there. Uh, and two pioneers in two different areas. I just say this, um, with Ms. B. Smith, I think what she done was just absolutely remarkable. But when I think about you know, the, the, the Alzheimer's disease and how black women are so affected by that. I think that her death would not be in vain. Number one, we'll be able to enjoy her creations and her innovation and her thinking for years to come. But also, we'll be able to bring some awareness to this disease for our culture and for our black women to be able to hopefully provide more money towards the research of, research of Alzheimer's and things like that. And then we talk about a mathematician, a, a female black mathematician that is an icon, a celebrity face that we can see that actually do calculations. It just makes me feel good about just the women in America, that, you know, the black women in America. So I think that having these people as role models, people that we can look up to, and their stories will never die um, just because they have so much that they've given to us and so much things that we can tangibly see for the rest of our lives. You know, uh, I was grateful to be able to actually experience B. Smith's restaurant before it was gone at Union Station, one of the best, one of the best soul food places I've ever been to in my life. The food was amazing, um, you know, rest in peace. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, her legacy is going to live on, you know, through her work. Um, in regards to uh, Catherine, let me tell you something. Black women have been a part of every major thing that's happened in this country. Um, without the advancement that came from NASA, without her calculations, we probably don't see a lot of the uh, technological advances that we got that came out of that whole era, that whole uh, mm -hmm. project and program. 
Black excellence at its best. Rest in power. Um, so first and foremost, I want to thank the panel for being here. We're going to end the show with this here. First of all, you want to support Rollmart Unfiltered. Go to rollmartunfiltered.com. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be in Charleston, South Carolina for the Democratic debate. Uh, and so we'll be broadcasting the show from there as well. We're going to end the show here in 2013. Actually, um, uh, I interviewed um, uh, Dan and B uh, when they put out their book, Before I Forget, Love, Hope, Help, and Acceptance in Our Fight Against Alzheimer's. And this was my interview with both of them uh, on TV One's News One Now. She is one of the most creative people many of us have ever known. I mean, take your pick when it comes to fashion, when it comes to cooking, when it comes to restaurants and books and TV shows and magazines and all that stuff. Uh, so imagine being a very creative, vibrant, busy entrepreneur and all of a sudden uh, being struck with early onset Alzheimer's disease. How that all of a sudden changes your life, but not just the uh, life of B. Smith, but also her husband and business partner, Dan Gasping. Alzheimer, of course, is usually associated with folks uh, 65 and older. However, it can strike folks as, early, as young as their early 40s. Altogether, 5.4 million Americans suffer from Alzheimer's. In fact, every 66 seconds, someone in the United States develops the disease. And African Americans are twice as likely to develop late onset Alzheimer's than whites. Now, instead of running from Alzheimer's and going into seclusion, B and Dan chose to go public in an effort to help others struggling with the disease. They've written about their experiences in the New York Times bestseller book, Before I Forget, Love, Hope, Help, and Acceptance in Our Fight Against Alzheimer's. Uh, and joining us on the set right now is B. Smith, Dan Gasby. Uh, good to see uh, both of you. Always good to see you. Happy to be here. Uh, glad, 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 glad that you are here. Um, take us back to before you got diagnosis. What, what, what was happening? What was well, happening? You know, well, first let me start off, and we're friends, and you know us for years, know the family. We had everything. We didn't need anything. We had come from nothing, made something, and our world was perfect. I could look across the room and talk to her with my eyes. We could walk into a room and light it up, mm -hmm. light each other up, light the audience up, or in a restaurant make people feel at home, as you've experienced. Mm -hmm. There was a point now that we have dealt, dealt with this that you look back in. In the book, I call little signs of difference. And those little signs are things that were atypical from someone who is sweet and wonderful and caring, where there may be bursts of outrage about something that didn't seem to be necessary or repeating of a question more than one time in a rapid succession or uh, asking for something that was no longer there or no longer realizable. And those things make you, you know, go, Hmm. But they don't make you go like the Arsenio. Right. They make you go WTF. <laughs> and that was now the thing that we know was the beginning. Mm -hmm. So Alzheimer's doesn't start like you turn a switch on or you catch a cold. It starts gradual like a storm. You don't know that it's going to be a rainstorm or if it's going to be sandy. But in the case of Alzheimer's, it is sandy because it changes everything. And because the ability to do everyday basic things become more uh, difficult. 
that was the beginning, just little things. Mm -hmm. And that's why when we realized as we went and had the amyloid plaque test and had the cognitive test that this was the case, while Sweetie was at the, pink, the, the peak of what we know is her abilities to talk and deal with things, she said to me, I, I want to tell people what I'm dealing with. I don't want people to define me, and I don't define myself. And that was the genesis for this book. Talk about that. When I first um, started the, um, the book, uh, it, everything was going good. And at some point, it just sort of... Became difficult. Yes. And, you know, here's a woman who I, I called her the ultimate hyphenate because you could add this to this to this from mother. Right, and, and, and that's, that's probably, you know, I would, I would think, because look, my, my, um, my sister's husband, um, my sister's helping the care, she's a teacher helping to care for both of his parents. Dad first got Alzheimer's. And the mother developed Alzheimer's. Right. Dealing with both of them. Mm -hmm. For you, I mean, you were you had thirty balls juggling. <laughs> I yep. mean, and you were sitting here. Look, I mean, I, I've been to your office, and you're sitting here. I mean, you got the the line of products, and you got this and this and this and this and this. And so this 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 creative mind that always kept things. Remember this, that, and the other. And all of a sudden, things begin to change for you. Mm -hmm. How? To being that kind of creative person, person who's in control, who uh, who understands all these different things, that had to be just just a dramatic shift for you. It was, but I never want to stop. And, and at that time, you know, I was definitely not going to stop. And the tr and the, tr the, 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 the trouble with that, to be honest, because this book is about being honest, both what she's dealing with, what mm -hmm. I'm dealing with, what we're dealing with together, is that, you know, you are the sum of who and what you do, and when you can't do it all, things start to unravel or things start to drop, and that is the point where there's tension, there's misunderstandings, let me say, one of the reasons that we wrote this book was when we look back, I can imagine how many people have left other people because they didn't know that person wasn't dealing with something psychological, they were dealing with something biological or neurological. And, and bring that up, because I think this is, is very interesting. When, and nobody talks about this. You, well, absolutely. And also when you talk about married couples. Yes. We hear vows, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor. Through sickness. Through sickness and health. You talked about coming from nothing, having riches, being better, wonderful life, and now all of a sudden, your life changes. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the, re that's the true test of a marriage and whether or not you commit it. There's no testimony without the test, my brother. <laughs> and you know what? If I never do anything but make sure that she, again, make sure that she's protected for as long as I, I breathe, I've done everything. That was a moment when he sent an urgent email and tweet out and text to a lot of us when you were in New York and he couldn't find you. Yeah. You, you went to meet mm -hmm. someone. Mm -hmm. and met a daughter. 17 hours. She walked for 17 hours in high heels. 
from Midtown Manhattan to Harlem, down to where the World Trade Center and Staten Island is, over to Staten Island, back. We had people tell us she was singing with people because they were, you know, it was a night and it was the day, day before the day of Thanksgiving and people were out and having a good time. And she had on red high heel shoes and she had on a windbreaker and it was like sleeting. And she, we estimated she did a marathon and a 10K. Wow. But, you know, she's in great shape, but she, and she's a fighter. And the thing I've learned about this disease that is so devastating is that there's a war going on inside mm -hmm. of a person. It's an all-out frontal assault. And I call, it a, I call it an act of domestic terrorism because it devastates the person and those who they love. Hold tight one second. I gotta go to a break. When we come back, we'll talk more with B. Smith and Dan Gatsby about their book. Before I forget, right here on News One Now on TV One. Executive in charge and the evening. That's it, y'all? That's it? All right, that was the interview with B. Smith and Dan Gatsby. Uh, prayers for Dan. Uh, I've I texted Dan, I offered him, uh, asked him to come on. Uh, he's still, of course, uh, uh, grieving. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's real hard. And, so let me say this here. <clears throat> real quick. I've had a lot of people send me tweets saying Dan can go to hell because y'all talked about him dating this white woman, bringing to the house. How many of y'all have had to actually care for somebody with Alzheimer's? Not now person out there commenting know anything about what's happening in their house before she well, she got sicker. Nobody. I I knew both of them. I know both of them. And I'm telling you, the literal pressure, um, the depression, the the stuff, how his health begin to deteriorate because of all of that of taking care of her. So when I tweeted for people that have prayers for Dan and for um, her daughter, I don't give a damn if y'all don't like what Dan Gatsby did. I really don't care. What I do know, because I saw it in the apartment in New York, I saw that dinner. That man loved that sister. And she loved him. And they were business partners. And y'all saying, oh, he's spending her money. He was president of the company. They built that company. And so, yes, Dan is a friend. B was a friend. And so we all mourn her loss. And so absolutely prayers for him and all who affected the loss of B. Smith. All right, folks, I'll see y'all guys tomorrow. Peace. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.